Everyone listening to this call is an athlete in their own way. Athletes are not limited to the sport arena. In fact, those athletes are in an incredibly luxurious environment because their commitment to perform in the arena of a challenge is limited in their time. Like some sports like football, etc., 90 minutes long, cricket, three and a half, four hours long, etc. But it's a defined time window that happens at a particular day. Our jobs, everyone listening to this as, as corporate athletes or as entrepreneurial athletes or startup athletes is exponentially harder because the time window is extended. It's 12 hours, 14 hours, 16 hours, 20 hours sometimes a day for a minimum of five, six, seven days a week. And we think about mentors, we think about board of advisors, but how many of us think about a board of advisor which includes the health and well-being index as well? Hello and welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. I'm Roshan Karyappa. If this is your first time here, we curate wisdom from India's best founders, operators and investors. We cover various aspects of the 0 to 1 to N journey across different domains like fintech or healthcare. So be it product to marketing or sales to engineering, you'll find all the answers here from folks who've been there and done that. On this episode, I speak with Dr. Marcus Rani, who is the founder and CEO of Human Edge. Human Edge is a data-led venture bringing the signs of performance and longevity into the workplace. On this episode, I was tempted to ask him a bunch of health and fitness related questions. It's something that as founders and operators, we don't often prioritize. So you'll hear from Dr. Marcus about simple habit fixes that will help you perform at your peak, both at home and the office. We'll have Dr. Marcus back another time to talk about some of the business aspects and what it's like to execute in the healthcare space. But for now, this is some really important and useful tips on how to stay on top of your game. I hope you like it. This episode of the Startup Operator Podcast is brought to you by Park Avenue. Hello, Dr. Marcus. Uh, thank you so much for making the time. Welcome to the Startup Operator Podcast. Thank you very much. Excited to be here. And I know it took us some time to find the right calendar slots, but uh, really, really excited to talk to your community. Yeah. Third time's the charm, I suppose. But, you know, you have a way busier schedule than I do. So I really appreciate your making time for this. As I said, you know, I'm super excited. I was really looking forward to this chat because, you know, these are two of my passions combined. So I'm really interested in health and fitness. And also, of course, I talk a lot about uh, startup building and so on. So hopefully we will cover a bunch of overlapping uh, nuances today on, on both these subjects. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, I'll try not to let you down. <laughs> I highly doubt that. So, you know, I think what really piqued my attention was your focus on disease prevention rather than cure, right? Because I think so much of healthcare is focused on post hoc interventions, right? I mean, you have fallen sick and then, hey, how do I get you better? But this seems to be a radical new approach of saying, hey, what can we do to sort of keep you well, right? So how did that first come into your life in terms of, you know, an idea and a concept? And uh, why did you decide to start working on that? Yeah. So I think it's fair to call it medicine 3.0. And uh, I think we as a society have progressed down this journey over the last few centuries. Uh, individually for me, prior to graduating as a physician, my first degree was in human physiology. And at the time studying and growing up in England, I had the opportunity to serve with the Royal Air Force and interacting with these incredible humans who are uh, pushing their body to extreme limits uh, and then having the opportunity then to be part of expeditions to different parts of the world, including a university expedition to Mount Everest, 
another research trip that we did to the Arctic Circle. And then getting the chance, my one of the most favorite things I've ever done in my career, which was working at Kennedy Space Center for one of the Space Shuttle Atlantis missions to the International Space Station as part of the medical crew behind the scenes. I was at a very, very early stage in my career, completely in love with this idea of optimizing the human body, right? Pushing it to the limit, studying what happens at that fringe of the environment, uh, of the envelope rather, and then seeing what we can learn and take back from there. Medicine was the vehicle that uh, allowed me in from a clinician and a practitioner lens. But as you rightly pointed out, Roshan, the world over, we practice in a framework, institutionalized framework, which is very siloed. It is very focused on disease and sick care. Rightly so, it has a very critical part to play in society as the pandemic has proven to all of us how important it is. But my passion laid beyond that. My passion was not just on the curation, it wasn't even so much on the prevention, which is really medicine 2.0. And that's why I started by articulating this idea of medicine 3.0, which is you go from curation or cure to prevention and now prevention to optimization. And that's the space that I get most excited about and what we are doing as well as a very, very early stage venture-backed uh, startup ourselves, which is how can we optimize the human frame? How can we each live life to its fullest and make the most use of the biggest asset we'll ever receive, which is our human body. Yeah, the most sophisticated machine that, you know, is there on the planet right now. I want to do a little bit of a tangent here. And I suppose, you know, I can't help myself. I will go on plenty of tangents in this conversation. I hope you can humor me on that. You've studied people who are doing these extreme endeavors, right? I mean, whether it's climbing the Everest or, you know, perhaps doing these ultra marathons or Ironmans or whatever it is. Now, when you look at these folks, right, what are those health indicators uh, across these folks that make them, you know, withstand those extreme circumstances, right? Because in some level, at some level, as you age, your ability to withstand these shocks, right, I mean, uh, kind of recedes, right? Uh, so in, in some sense, I mean, what makes these folks so robust? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. There is a degree of resiliency which exists within their physiological and psychological framework both are equally important but let me just say that everyday normal human beings like you and i are capable of the most extreme fantastic outcomes and events right oftentimes we think about the great heroes like uh, sir edmund hillary or commander neil armstrong and uh, or or eliud kikpoche the the marathon runner and, and many, many more names, right? So many throughout history, but they're normal folks, right? They have the same operating system that you and I, what they've learned to do is to push it to a degree that allows them to do these, these incredible achievements that we now consider historic landmarks, but we can all do the same, right? And what I love and where my area of study and research really allows me to play in that sandbox is learning from one and applying to the other, right? Because it must never just remain on the envelope. It must never just remain on the fringe. This content, this information, this intelligence that we gather as experts, as practitioners, and as individuals who push our bodies needs to be democratized so that all of us the world over can benefit from it. Because that is when you lift society up. This is when you unburden disease. 
uh, and we move to a society of 3.0, as I was mentioning earlier on. Right, So that's really important for people to appreciate that we can all run marathons, we can all climb mountains, we can all hopefully, fingers crossed, go to space. And we just need to, to know the right mechanisms of doing that. Now, yes, to answer your question, over a period of time, particularly for people who operate on that margin of, of human excellence, uh, and they say that the difference between the gold medal of an Olympic event, like the Olympic 100, and coming forth is less than the blink of an eye. It's about one one hundredth of a second difference in time between one tenth to one hundredth of a second difference, which is which is less than the blink of an eye. So when you're operating at that level, there is clearly uh, a human edge, pardon the pun, uh, that allows you to, to operate at that space. And that's where all the tiny, tiny things that go into that optimization, whether it comes to recovery techniques, performance techniques, uh, mental strength and conditioning techniques, et cetera, et cetera, that allow the body to get there as well. So it's, it's really a fascinating space to study and understand that operating system within. Right. So discounting for genetics and so on, there's really a lot on the nurture side of things that, you know, one can imbibe, right, uh, to be better at whatever we do, whether it's productivity, performance, wellness and so on. Very much so. So, you know, roughly speaking, if we just take the conversation about longevity, that what is your probability of living to be 100, then around 80 to 85 percent of that is really down to three things. Uh, the people that you're surrounded with, the environments that you are immersed in and the choices that you make in life, right? This is the agency of control. This is the locus of concentration that we at a startup are empowering our users to take charge of, right? And we'll talk more about that later on. The other 15, 16, 17% is the pure genetic component, right? Are you carrying a particular gene, let's say for a particular type of tumor? like uh, BRCA1, uh, BRCA BRCA2 for breast cancer. Then the degree of control, then you've got to do some other types of techniques around there to counteract. But, but by and large, our biggest contributor to life is the nurturing environment, people and choices that we make. And that's what I keep reminding people. And as a clinician, I get hugely frustrated wherein I see on a daily basis people that I'm working with, whether they're CEOs, whether they're leaders, whether they're employees, whether they're athletes, right? Uh, and performance athletes, that they almost resign to this idea, doc, it's just, it's just in my DNA. Doc, it's just my genes. Doc, it's just who I am. It's not. We can optimize. We can change. We can improve ourselves, right? We have a great degree of control over these things. And, and people just need to know what they should be doing in order to make those changes right on a similar note right i mean what does it take to change people's mindsets because you know when you talk about healthcare as such i think people tend to be anxious they refrain from going to hospitals or meeting doctors because they feel like they will discover something untoward and you know they will have to fix something that probably wasn't broken or something of that sort there's a huge mistrust in society about the medical profession as such, right? I mean, even though, I mean, the last couple of years have taught us what a great deal of service the medical fraternity has done for us, right? And so to get people to move from that mindset to what you're talking about, where they're being really proactive uh, and not just preventing disease, but also optimizing their performance as such, what will it take to kind of move them from, you know, those two, uh, from one point to another? 
So fear is a very powerful emotion, right? It is ingrained into our biology at a genetic level, in fact, a heightened, a heightened secretion of cortisol and adrenaline can act as an epigenetic or transcription factor, which has downstream effects on certain phenotypic changes in the body as well. So fear is deeply rooted in our emotional psyche. So it's very easy, therefore, to understand why people shy away from the establishment, even putting aside the distrust features that you mentioned, uh, why people are anxious or they shy uh, away from it. In my experiences, I have seen that each of us at some point in our lives have what I call this awakening moment. The awakening moment, which is the understanding that we are not immortal, right? When we're young, when we're in our teens, when we're in our early 20s, our body is just so incredible, so elastic, it's so resilient. You could literally do anything. And all the folks listening to this, perhaps if you think back to your college or university days, you could eat whatever you wanted to eat. You could drink whatever you wanted to drink. You could still wake up, turn up for lectures, do your work, go play sport, you know, do all these things. And it seemed like this body was just immortalized and we could just do anything. But each of us on our journey through life has a moment where there's this realization that we are mortal, that this body will not continue in the same trajectory forever. It could either be an event that happens to ourselves. It could be something that happens to someone around us, like a family member, or it could be a global big shock, like we've all collectively experienced through the pandemic. And in that moment, then a rewiring occurs, a rewiring towards a prioritization of where health now lies in the tasks that I have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Is it the first thing that I need to do? Is it the thing that I need to do the most? Is it urgent? Is it critical, etc. right? So what I'm very, very careful of as an individual clinician and as a startup founder is ensuring that people understand that I'm not a behavioral scientist, right? The company that, that I founded, Human Edge, is not a behavioral sciences company. I cannot solve for zero to one. I can take the horse to water, but I can't make the horse drink. But what I can solve as a clinician and as an entrepreneur is the one to 99 problem which is once you are awakened, once you know that now this is a priority in my life and we understand that the biggest scarcity that I'm sure all of your listeners have, it's not affordability, it's not accessibility, it is time. Our generation right now is the most time constrained generation that has ever existed. Because of the technological devices that we have, we are so hyper-connected, we are so inundated, as we jokingly shared, just even setting up this conversation today, right? Scheduling, et cetera, et cetera. It's no fault of anyone. It's just the lives that we live is just so ultra pushed to the extreme that the problem, therefore, that we need to solve for in a community of time scarce people is what do I do when that time is available to me? How do I receive the biggest return on my time investment? And that is really where the power of biohacking and the movement that we're trying to build and create at Human Edge is working towards that. If you want to go from one to 99, then our job is to be by your side to tell you what you need to do, when you need to do it, and how often you need to do it in order to get there. Right. 
you know, I've spoken to similar entrepreneurs who are executing in nascent spaces and, you know, they go through the same thing, right? I mean, which is that, is that classic, uh, you know, Jeffrey Moore's uh, crossing the chasm kind of a thing, right? I mean, you have to find your early adopters, people who are at least open to the concept of what you're trying to execute at and uh, really work on them and hope that, you know, it kind of grows into an early majority and then it becomes convention, right? And you're absolutely right. I think there has to be some kind of an awakening moment for everyone. I think for me personally, you know, caring for my elderly uncle who I had seen, uh, uh, you know, during his younger days and was, you know, one of those dashing debonair types grow really fragile and sort of wither away with age, right? I think that was uh, sort of a wake-up call for me that if you don't tend to yourself, in your prime, then you're left to contend with a lot of uh, distress uh, at the end. So, so I suppose, I mean, people will kind of uh, go through their own experiences of this, right? Having this idea in mind and then giving up your clinical practice to start something of this sort, right? To start a company as such. I mean, it takes a lot of conviction and especially being a doctor, right? I mean, uh, you are sort of taken, uh, you're, you're sort of charting a new course in your career as such. How do you get started? How do you go from idea to product to company? I'm a student, as I'm sure every one of your listeners are, and uh, I want to be humble in the recognition that I learn every single day, right? I fall down, I just make sure that I get up after I fall down and I keep getting up. Every time it knocks me over, I just need to keep getting up. So the journey for me has been very serendipitous and one of chance, therefore, I never set out to do anything that I'm doing right now. Now looking back through the story, as it plays out, it makes sense that, oh, wow, 25 years ago, I was studying the chemistry textbooks and learning about mitochondria and then spent time in extreme environments and then spent time as a clinician and then worked as a management consultant, then founded, was part of the founding team of a venture fund, then uh, spent time in corporate and then finally a startup in the digital health space. That journey now kind of makes sense. but. I certainly never set out to do any of those things in that particular order. I've just always been deeply curious and I hope that curiosity stays with me for as long as I have my time alive. I am a student of biology. I love biological systems, the human body and all of these things that we just described. And the essence of the company Human Edge really came about through the pandemic. Like many clinicians the world over, as the world went down into lockdown, I decided to take a sabbatical from some of the corporate work that I was doing and go back as a frontline medic volunteer. And it had been over a decade since I had done any real clinical work after moving to India through some of the stuff I mentioned, right? On the consulting side, on the venture side, and then on the corporate side. And it was also a very difficult decision because of the unknown nature of the virus. I have two young kids at home. There was a lot of stigma attached. You know, I'm, I'm taking us all back to March, April of 2020, when there was a lot of fear, anxiety and uncertainty around this. But, you know, we, my wife and I both discussed it and agreed that it was the right thing to do because, you know, the country was very short staffed. So I, I did that. I volunteered for my city where I live, which is in Mumbai uh, with the BMC. And I think I, it will always be hopefully the most purposeful work that my career has ever allowed me to do. 
as a frontliner working in slums doing community-based screening. But unfortunately, about four or five months after that, I contracted the virus myself and I fell very sick. These are the days before we had monoclonals. Uh, we didn't have much apart from steroids to throw at it. And I was on steroids for a long time. It took me a long time to recover and rehab from this. And that's when I started in that very, very dark space of physical and mental challenge. I remember it was a birthday. My parents had come home and I had the cake and, you know, I was about to blow the candle. And I was thinking, what do I wish? I mean, it was a pretty horrible state that I was in. And I told myself, you know, Marcus, it's not often that a runner gets the opportunity to learn how to run again. And this is because I had a neurological complication in my lower limbs, which had taken away a lot of the strength and power and I was not able to move much and I was in a lot of pain. So I used that as an inspiration to get back up and out again, right? And I was very open and vocal and, and spoke a lot about this in public forums as well to hopefully encourage other people to do the same. But I started to biohack myself. I told myself like, I have the intelligence, I have the knowledge, let me apply it to self. And that's when I started to see these rewards and dividends play out. A few months after that, I was very proud and I cried, I remember, because I did a personal best for a half marathon. So I was able to prove to myself that it can be done. And that is where the inspiration to democratize this came from. That I thought, okay, if I've done this for myself, I, it is my duty now to bring this message alive to other people. And the company in the avatar that it is now, which is a technology-led, productized, soon-to-be mobile app experience, which allows each of us to biohack ourselves based on biomarkers, health data, non-health data, was born. And so serendipity brought me to this point. Uh, and I'm just fortunate that I was able to make that change for myself and in a position now to help other people make that change themselves. This episode of the Startup Operator Podcast is brought to you by Park Avenue. Now that we're all back at the office meeting colleagues and clients, it's time to ditch those PJs and look sharp with Park Avenue's range of 100% cotton wrinkle-free shirts. They're super easy to maintain and keep you looking fresh through the day. So my fellow startup operators, visit the Park Avenue store on myraymond.com and check out the new wrinkle-free shirt collection. Fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, really inspiring. Could you talk to us a little bit about this whole quantified self movement and this biohacking as such? I mean, we do have a preponderance of data and I also want to tie it to this whole phenomenon of consumerization of healthcare, right? Which is that, hey, I mean, in the future or, or perhaps even now, I mean, sometime uh, near future, you might not have to go to clinics or hospitals. I mean, there are these interventions that you could do at your home itself, right? And all the stuff that you talk about, whether it's optimizing or improving your, you know, basic health parameters that can be in your own control, right? So could you talk to us about all of these different trends that are uh, currently ongoing? Absolutely. I gave a TEDx talk now five, six years ago, where I was describing a future in 2030, where I believe that there can exist a digital health concierge that knows us better than we know ourselves and is able to, on a daily basis, prescribe the right thing in order to keep us in our health optimal state. Simple things like ensuring the taxi booking service that we use on our phone perhaps drops us off a couple of hundred meters before our drop-off location, just to get a few extra steps in. Or the culinary planning unit in the kitchen 
uh, knows exactly the right macronutrient composition that I should be having in order to optimize for my energy levels of the day or supplements which are micronutriently prescribed as per my current biochemical profile based on the stool sample and the urine toxicology that my toilet automatically analyze uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So lots and lots of things. And our passionate human edge is, is working towards that particular goal. You know, we are living in a world where in the year 2020, this is one of the reports I saw. So just before the start of the pandemic, the 1 billion white collar workforce, which exists the world over, 30% of them already owned a wearable device of some form, right? And I, I say white collar workforce because that is the audience that we at Human Edge are first serving, uh, which is corporate employees the world over, right? So the penetration of wearable devices has just grown exponentially through the pandemic. And, and you probably have more relevant data sources than I, apart from these industry studies that keep coming out, showing just how quickly that number is escalating. I think it was a 300% growth just last year alone. So putting aside the growth in the number of wearable devices, there is an increase in the ability of these devices to measure different physiological systems. I routinely have three to four wearable devices, which I'm using on a day-to-day -day basis, which create something in the order of 25 to 30 different biomarker streams just that I can look at on my daily dashboard. I've often talked about the Aura Ring that I wear, which is one of the greatest uh, sleep physiological tracking devices which are out there. I very routinely wear a Abbott glucose monitoring patch because I was pre-diabetic after all the steroids that I took uh, during uh, COVID. And so I like to keep a check on those balance levels every six months or so. I have an Apple watch that I use for all of my cardiovascular fitness, etc. I have a Yolanda uh, smart weighing scale at home, which is a six electrode, eight lead device, uh, which gives me a full body composition analysis of my muscle, my fat distribution in, in viscera versus liver versus subcutaneous, etc. I have a cardia little device like this, which I put my two thumbs on, which I often carry with me on my expeditions, which gives me as a clinician, uh, six lead ECGs that I can put. And I remember I took it up Mount Kilimanjaro last year and I had someone who was complaining of chest pain and I could there and there do an ECG on that individual in real time on my mobile app and see their electric uh, tracing. So we are living in a world where we are producing somewhere close to two megabytes of data every single second. Wow. But the vast majority, somewhere close to 99% of that is not going towards enhancing the human health experience in any way. In fact, it's doing the counter. It's telling us people we should date or people we shouldn't date, things we shouldn't eat, programs we shouldn't watch, things we shouldn't buy, etc. But what I'm passionate about is how can we use that data set to actually improve the human experience from the health perspective as well, right? And so this is what we're looking to solve from a data perspective. Right. You talk about these five pillars of health, right? Sleep, movement, environment, emotions, and uh, perhaps fuel. Could you give us like a brief snapshot of, you know, what this means specifically for founders? Because 
founders tend to their schedules tend to be defined by their customers their employees the market etc right i mean it's always topsy turvy i mean there's a lot of ambiguity happening you might have to catch a red eye flight to go and see that customer if you have to right so with that kind of a messy schedule how can founders still focus on health and how can founders still have that routine uh, to keep them focused on their performance and so on let me start by saying that everyone listening to this call is a athlete in their own way right athletes are not limited to the sport arena in fact those athletes are in an incredibly luxurious environment because their commitment to perform in the arena of a challenge is limited in their time like some sports like football etc 90 minutes long cricket three and a half, four hours long, et cetera. But it's a defined time window that happens at a particular day. And then they have an ability to recover. They have an incredible team of people behind them uh, who looks after all of those things. Our jobs, everyone listening to this as, as corporate athletes or as entrepreneurial athletes or startup athletes is exponentially harder because as you were saying, rightly so, Roshan, the time window is extended it's 12 hours 14 hours 16 hours 20 hours sometimes a day for a minimum of 5 6 7 days a week we do not have the same team behind us who's looking after all of those different data points to propel us forward and we think about mentors we think about board of advisors but how many of us think about a board of advisor which includes the health and well-being index as well i'm very fortunate I interact and work with some incredible entrepreneurs and founders across India and APAC in fact just yesterday in Delhi I was with um, one of the uh, South Asia leads of one of the biggest uh, global uh, startups that there is and he was asking me you know what's the best wearable device that I should be using so we spoke about data and the importance of data for him a few days prior to that I was talking to a, a founder of one of the biggest fintech companies in India and we were talking about intermittent fasting and how we can use that as an aid to improve our physical health but also our decision making capacity right from a ketogenic perspective for focus clarity of thought concentration uh, metabolic flexibility etc so what i'm deeply deeply passionate about is ensuring that everyone listening to this call needs to appreciate that the conversations that roshan and i are having today are not just for those who are performance athletes limited to the world of physical sport we are each athletes in our own respective way and we need to prioritize health and dedicate the time so that we can achieve that performance because i guarantee you that if you invest in the five pillars that i'm about to talk to you right now you will see dividends that not just play out for you as an individual but a culture around you for your team a performance boost for your startup organization as well and give you the right joy and energy of life that makes all of the work we do worthwhile otherwise why are we all slogging away and doing what we do as entrepreneurs so the five pillars are as follows and it's a little bit ironic because as a clinician i don't prescribe drugs anymore i prescribe lifestyle interventions i prescribe biohacks to people instead which are focused on these I always start with sleep. If there's one thing that anyone listening to this can do is to optimize the sleep in their life, whether it's to do with insulin resistance and metabolic disease, whether it's to do with a reduction in risk to cardiovascular disease, 
whether it's to do with better focus, concentration, memory, whether it's to do with better empathy and communicative ability with your team, or whether it's just to have the right level of, uh, of interactions with people, emotional interactions with people at home, sleep is the most powerful and the first thing that we all need to focus on, right? Four hours, five hours of sleep doesn't cut it. If you are restricted to five and a half to six hours, and I'm the same, then my job as your coach, as your doc, is to ensure that I can optimize it so that you get the most benefit from that five to six hours as possible. And by temperature of your room, light levels, magnesium supplementation, time of eating, uh, digital disconnection. I mean, literally, there are hundreds and hundreds of biohacks around sleep alone. But sleep is the first that we look at, Roshan. The second, and this goes in order, is fuel, right? Our body is a machine. Like any machine, you need to put the right fuel in. I don't talk about diets because diets are bad. Diets are not sustainable. Diets are onerous. Diets are a chore. And there's certainly never any joy in a diet. But fuel, you can fall in love with fuel because you can eat as much as you want, provided you're eating the right thing at the right time in the right context, right? So how do you look at your macronutrients? How do you ensure you're getting the right micronutrients? How do you stay hydrated? How do you use caffeine as an advantage and not a disadvantage, right? How do you look after the microbiome of, of, of three kilograms of microorganisms that live in your gut, which is creating chemicals that influence your brain, your emotion, and your physical health as well, right? So these are just some of the things that we look at when it comes to fueling the body. Then we look at movement. Can I? Again. Yeah, of course, of course. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just want to interrupt you and ask you a few questions here. Sleep, which you talk about, right? I mean, it's you, you mentioned it's the most important thing, but I think it's the first thing that people abuse, right? Because they somehow kind of take it for granted and they, they're they used to kind of kickstarting their mornings with that, you know, cup of black coffee and, you know, you're in the zone, you're wired, right? And this is something that, you know, I have learned to appreciate over this year because this year I gave up coffee. So I would have had perhaps five or six cups of coffee all of this year. And I remember those moments very distinctly because once you're off coffee, you kind of realize how powerful it is and uh, what it does to your body as well, right? So let's say I'm running low on sleep. Is there a way for me to make up on sleep deficit? You know, do I do you advise maybe power naps in between? Or is there a way for me to get the maximum out of that five-hour sleep itself? Yeah. So if you are, are limited on your time, the, the human body requires a sprint of a minimum of five and a half to six hours. And the reason I'm saying that is if you look at data, looking at the different phases of sleep, right? So we go through sleep cycles. Every 90 minutes, our brain is resetting the sleep cycle. And in that sleep cycle, you are oscillating between these four different phases, uh, three non-REM and then one of REM, right? And the phase distribution changes through the night. In the first 60 to 70%, typically the first four and a half to five hours, the first four to five cycles, the focus of the body physiologically is that towards deep sleep. That's because we get a physical restoration in those sleep cycles, in deep sleep component. The REM component, which is where we get the most emotional and mental benefits, happens in the last three to four cycles of the night, right? So if you are someone who's only spending four to five hours of sleep, 
your body is going to prioritize the physical capacity, assuming you're even getting the deep sleep in the first place, as opposed to the light sleep, which is why I love these devices that you can wear around your wrist or around your finger. But if you do not allow your body to get into cycle number five, six, and seven, you are not going to get the right quantity of REM sleep that your brain, mental, and emotional health requires as well. And this is a big problem for people because as founders and entrepreneurs, we need to be making the right decisions at the right time in the right context. And if you're not getting REM sleep, you are frankly, and it's almost the same as being intoxicated. It's the same level of, of, of decision incapacity that happens. So five and a half to six is critical. In that five and a half to six, you really want to be optimizing your temperature, your light, your sound, magnesium glycinate or citrate 400 milligrams at 8 p.m. is a very, very powerful micronutrient to be taken from the sleep perspective. And look, I, I know we're short on time, but there are many, many other things. And and, uh, yeah. uh, and I'll try and make sure that we uh, send you some of the stuff that you can send out to your listeners as well. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, please. Uh, you were talking about fuel and then going to move on to movement and so on. Yeah, so the second one is uh, the second one is fuel. The third one is movement. And I don't talk about exercise. I talk about moving the body because exercise, again, is something which is seen as onerous. Uh, and a chore that we have to do. Whereas we can all love to move the, uh, we can all love to move the body. And there are five forms of movement, aerobic, anaerobic, strength training, flexibility, and balance. These are the five different things that we should each be doing every single day. The fourth one is environment. And I define environment as the people, the places, and the technology that we uh, surround ourselves with. And the fifth one is mood and emotion, right? And we're very particular in this, in, this, in this order of things. It's almost like thinking about Maslow's, but from a, a performance and a well-being perspective, because you can't fix your mood and emotion if you're not sleeping enough. It's just not physically possible. You can't move the body with the right intensity, progression, and cadence if you're not fueling the body properly in the first place. So that's why we have this particular order in order to fix things in people. Right. Well, there are a lot of questions that I want to ask you, but I understand that, you know, you're extremely short of time. Perhaps, I mean, we should uh, schedule a follow-up sometime and, uh, you know, dig deeper on these five pillars that you mentioned. But uh, it's a very helpful uh, sort of a framework to sort of think about, right, in terms of what to optimize for. So thank you so much again, uh, Dr. Marcus. Uh, this was uh, really, really insightful. And uh, I, I really hope that, you know, we can do a follow-up discussion sometime. No, I would very much enjoy that. Definitely uh, to be able to help the community of listeners that you have. One of the things that I'm very strict of is as a young father, I've got two young kids, a six-year-old and a four-year-old. I make sure that every day I wrap up by 6 p.m. so I can spend time with them before they put to go to bed and, and do their thing. So, and this is, hey, this is a lesson for all of us that we're growing businesses. We're excited about building businesses and impact. But let's also remember that we're human beings and that we should enjoy in the relationships that we have around us because it contributes a lot to, to why we are human in the first place. Absolutely. Before you go, any podcasts or any books or resources that you would recommend to our listeners? 
Yeah, yeah. So I'm a I'm a big big fan of Peter Atiyah's work, and he's got an incredible podcast called The Drive. Andrew Huberman, of course, uh, a great great resource, and he is a great uh, person as well. Uh, Matt Cablein does a lot of work around rapamycin and the effects that this has on longevity, and he recently published a review. I think it was in Nature. looking at different types of fueling and diets intermittent fasting time restricted eating fasting mimicking diets uh, etc and what uh, is the best thing to consume so that's something that i was recently reading uh, as well uh, near barzilai i just love near all the work he's doing uh, on metformin uh, as an effect on on longevity so these are sort of the things that i uh, am recently consuming and reading uh, as frequently as i can yeah fantastic Thank you so much Dr Marcus all the best for everything that you have coming up Thank you Roshan and I I I really will make sure that uh, we schedule more time and then we can go deeper on the five uh, Absolutely. the five vectors and get some real biohacks for your listeners as well Thank you so much thank you In the Park Avenue PowerPoint section we review some of the highlights of this conversation Dr Marcus talks about the five edge pillars of health starting with sleep improving quantity and quality of rest is key to living a long and healthy life studies often say that you should get 7 to 8 hours of sleep for optimum performance Dr Marcus advises the 3 to 1 formula for this eat your meals 3 hours prior to bed drink liquids 2 hours prior to bed and finally no screens for 1 hour before bed The second is movement moving to boost energy levels as well as improve long term cardiovascular health and strength is really important and you must include all the five types of movement in this that is aerobic anaerobic strength training flexibility and balance in your weekly routine number 3 fuel you need to put the right fuel in your body diets are not sustainable and can be pretty onerous fuel on the other hand as long as you eat the right thing in the right context at the right time it'll help you improve your health drastically number 4 and something that we ignore often is environment setting up your internal and external surroundings for successful behavioral outcomes is important being mindful of the people places and technology that we surround ourselves with is really key and finally emotions tapping into the power of human connections and mindfully navigating your emotions and relationships can make all of the difference when we started this conversation i didn't quite know you know which direction we would head but i'm really happy that we had this uh, you know talk about fitness for founders because i think it's super important for people to stay at their peak performance to deliver their best so i hope you like it uh, there are lots of insights in here and if you did don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platforms whether it's apple spotify or google so i'll see you on another episode of the startup operator podcast with another amazing guest thank you